If you have your Bibles, you can begin to find your way to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to be reading from chapter 3. Most scholars and Bible study students believe Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. And we would not challenge that. It's a book that's a lot like the Proverbs. It's full of wisdoms and understanding. It's obviously scripture. It's inspired by God. And it has something to say. And I've preached from Ecclesiastes 3 before. In fact, I preached to those at Legacy, I'm talking years and years and years ago. In fact, those of you, <clears throat> in fact, there's only a couple of you that may have been in the church service at James Island Christian in, what, August or July of 1997, uh, I remember preaching from Ecclesiastes 3, uh, now 21, 22 years ago. Now, I, don't, I may have referenced it before in other messages. I know I, I preached on it then. And there's going to be some concepts I'm going to bring out by way of remembrance. Uh, for some of you, it'll be a, a review. For others of you, it may be new. But this is going to be very, very important. In fact, I went out and I purchased a little, this is just like a, a little journal book. It's just a small one. Uh, in fact, it probably was at Dollar Tree. So when, when I say purchase, it wasn't like this was a major investment. It was probably a dollar. Um, but I wanted to capture some of this, I think, insight that I'm getting downloaded. And if it's not being helpful to anyone else, I know it's been helpful to me. And so I'm just going to share with you some things that have been incredibly helpful to me and pass it along to you, and hopefully God will speak in that and use my voice in order to maybe underline some things that will be important, not only for the season that we're concluding and now going to enter into, but uh, in the years ahead when you're experiencing maybe a closure of a personal season and wondering how in the world do I deal with all of this. I want to also say, just by way of preview, and I'll get to our teaching momentarily, I've been reading through the Christmas story again, and how many of you realize that when Jesus shows up as a baby, when the incarnation happens, and maybe you've never thought of it this way before, and I'm sure I have, but it just ignited to me again because of obviously where I'm at and where we're at. How many of you know God was closing off a season and he was starting a whole new season. In fact, Jesus would eventually call that new season the favorable year of the Lord. That's what he would eventually define it as. But I began to think about it in those terms, and then I began to see the characters of the Christmas story in such a way that began to light up to me as to those who could not close a season and those who wanted to open a new season. And so the whole Christmas theme, and I'll be preaching out of the Christmas accounts, but there'll be a lot that'll be talking to us. It won't just be this sentimental journey through the holiday season as we all sort of muse about the crash, the nativity scene, and, and how neat that must have been. We're going we're gonna to talk about some hardcore revelational realities that God was using to speak to those people then and that he wants to speak to us today. So I'm kind of jazzed. I'm usually, my wife will tell you, I'm usually not jazzed about preaching at Christmas time because you have to really, you know, people sort of expect you to talk about Christmas. Isn't that true? It's Christmas time, you're at church, you ought to talk about Christmas. 
And it kind of forces you as a pastor into a box to use these same passages over and over and over again. And you read them to the people and everybody goes, yeah, I've read that a thousand times. And it's like, really, can we just get through Christmas so we can get back to whatever? And I'm telling you, we're going to read some old familiar stories, but I got a feeling God may drop some real revelation bombs on us. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. So you're in Ecclesiastes 3 though, right, for now? And I'm going to speak on what I put on the smart board, finishing a season. Finishing a season. And you know the phrase that I've used a thousand times when I've told you what. Let's say it together. It's not how you start. It's how you finish. It doesn't matter how many people are at the starting line. It only matters who crosses the finish line. You've ever done the bridge run? I've never done the bridge run. I know uh, Priscilla has done the bridge run. I, Wally says he's done the bridge run. And there are, there are 30,000 people in Mount Pleasant that are at various places lining up in order to get started on the bridge run. It doesn't matter how you start. It only matters how you finish. And finishing is a lot different than starting. And so <clears throat> I use that phrase because honestly, uh, and again, not saying you, I believe you are the legacy finisher. So understand that as I'm teaching this, I'm not picking on anyone here. I'm not picking on you. I'm not suggesting anything about you, but I am suggesting some precept that needs to be embraced. You're finishing this season with me, with us, and, uh, and we affirm you for these things. But honestly, in America, I'm just going to make the statement, I don't believe most believers finish well, in fact, if this is true, most believers are in trouble because we don't tend to finish things well. And uh, I started to think about, as I was preparing today, about a movie that I think a lot of people have seen. Uh, I guess we would probably call it a movie we used to, I don't know if this is even politically correct, but what do I care anymore, right? I mean, I mean, as if I ever was. They used to call those movies chick flicks. You know, it's a chick flick because it's a romantic movie maybe or it's a movie that, that's of interest to, to the ladies and, and, and maybe the guys don't connect with it. But it's one of those movies that probably in my mind started out as one of these chick flicks, but I have, I have watched it and in turn... Uh, I've kind of enjoyed it, but anyway, the, the name of the movie is You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail, mail you know, um, yeah, and uh, it's Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. You know the story, those of you that have watched it, I mean, he's, he's the owner of the, the mega bookstore, Fox Books, and she owns the little shop around the corner, which is this boutique bookstore, this very kind of small neighborhood bookstore. Now, it's a romantic comedy, and it starts out back in, you know, the old dinosaur age when we had email, AOL email, that you had to dial up, and it made all those noises, you know, when it goes, you know, and you'd finally hit your internet, and then you could go to your email. And, and, and apparently they had found each other, not knowing who each other were, but they found each other and were, were doing this email routine back and forth to each other. So there was anonymity on both ends. They only knew each other by their email handles. And so the story sort of revolves around how 
They're anonymous to each other, passing emails. And if you know the story, just bear with me because there's some that may not know the story. But, but as they're, they're passing emails in anonymity, they actually meet each other in reality. But at first, they don't know as they meet each other in reality that they're the two that are talking to each other in anonymity. And, and so the story kind of revolves around this thing with regards to the big mega bookstore has come along and it is now slowly putting out of business the small boutique bookstore, the shop around the corner. Now the small shop around the corner, this small bookstore, does everything it can do to survive. It does the media blitz. It campaigns. It appeals to its boutique nature. Uh, it tries to corral all their faithful customers. Why does the shop around the corner try to do this? It's because their livelihood is at stake. Jobs are at stake. There's memories associated with this boutique bookstore. Uh, Meg Ryan's mom, the character she plays, her mom was the one that started the bookstore. And so she had all these invested memories and energy that her mom had put into this store. And now... This mega mochaccina bookstore is opening up around the corner and, and her customers, as faithful and as loving and as committed as they have been through the years, just naturally start going over to the mega bookstore until the final reality comes to her when she realizes that she has to close. She can no longer sustain her business because... Fox Books has put her out of business. Now understand, as this is going on, she hates Joe Fox. Not realizing that in anonymity, they're communicating together and falling in love through this email process. It's an interesting story and, and how it all works. And, and I, I have watched it now through the years, and I thought, really, really, it's a prophetic movie in some ways. How many of you know Walmart when it comes to a small rural area, it closes all the small town stores in that small area. And some people get really aggravated at Walmart because everybody shifts and they go to the Walmart. The Lowe's and the Home Depot close all the small hardware stores. I used to always go over to Charleston Hardware there on Wapu. I just went there because I liked it. I liked the guys in there and they gave you personal attention and you could get a little popcorn before you left. And I liked that. They were hoping the popcorn would keep their customer base. Kept me. But it eventually closed the hardware store. Right now, open air shopping, like at Town Center, is closing malls. Who would have ever thought the Citadel Mall would have ever closed? And of course, we all know, even on the, the religious scene, our mega churches at times of Gobbled up. I remember the story about when T.D. Jakes moved from West Virginia to the Dallas area. And when he moved from the Dallas area, there were about a hundred small, predominantly African-American churches that closed within a month. Because they were absorbed within the potter's house. I could take you through business. I could take you through church. I could take you through all sorts of these type of dynamics. I want to simply say this so you always remember it. There is a season for everything, and the reality is everything, everything, say that with me, everything has a time limit. You do too. You won't be here forever. 
nor will I. We all have time limits. How many of you know now Amazon is closing everything? You don't even have to go out shopping anymore. Cyber Monday, you can do all your shopping and even return things. It's amazing to me what you can do online anymore. You don't even have to go out and do your shopping. So the question for me, as I began to think about all of this, came down to how do you close something? How do you finish a season in a God-honoring way? Because you never hear, at least I've never heard, a sermon kind of on this subject. How do you close something in a God-honoring way? Because things don't close usually in God-honoring ways. People don't close their season in God-honoring ways. People close seasons, and now I can laugh and smile about it, but they close their season by giving you a text at 1.30 in the morning and leave you hanging. They close seasons by using the phrase, I'll get to this in a moment, they'll say their season's over, but they don't know how to, to close that season. And, 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 and I just think this is things that the Bible teaches that we never get taught, and I will assure everyone in the room, whether it's your personal journey, whether it's your job, your career, uh, no matter what area it's in, you're going to find yourself moving from one season to another season, and you better be sure you know how to close that season correctly. So I've entitled the message today, How to Close a Season. Isn't that, isn't that a pithy title? How to Close a Season. Let me read you Ecclesiastes 3. I'm going to do it out of the amplified version. I'm on this amplified version kick. All right? So let's read this. I think it's interesting how it reads. There is a season, a time appointed for everything, and a time for every delight and event or purpose under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones, and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, and a time to give up as lost, a time to keep, and a time to throw away, a time to tear apart, a time to sew together, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What profit is there for the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the task which God has given to the sons of men with which to occupy themselves. He has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its what? I always read that phrase and it always strikes me. Everything's beautiful and appropriate in its time. So in other words, if something is out of time, it's ugly and inappropriate. Do you understand? If you're doing something out of its season, it's very ugly. If you're in season, it's appropriate and beautiful. Chew on that. He also has planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose, in the human heart, a mysterious longing, which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. Yet man cannot find out, comprehend, grasp what God has done, his overall plan from the beginning to the end. How to close a sermon. 
And I want to just point out in this season, I'm, I'm preaching a sermon, but I'm in a season. All right. It says, yet God cannot, yet man, excuse me, cannot find out what God has done, his overall plan from the beginning to the end. This is the point I want to make in verse 11. It says this, we don't end well because we don't understand seasons. That's what Solomon was saying. And it's a secret no one ever talks about. We secretly think that God is the author of only good seasons and the devil is the author of every hard season. In fact, we may never say it out loud, but we secretly think we are owed perpetually good seasons. Because, what have we been taught? God is good. And he always wants the best for me. Which translated means that God always wants me to prosper. He always wants me to be comfortable. He always wants me to have the most convenient life possible. That's what good means in our thesaurus. I agree, God is good, but good is not always easy or comfortable. I decided I'm going to write a book because I want to make a lot of money, and I'm going to write this book. I'm going to write a book entitled Your Best Season Now. How about every season a great season? You get where I'm going with this? The problem would be those titles would be a lie. The Ecclesiastes writer tells us plainly that seasons come and seasons go. Seasons change. We better learn and embrace that change and how to close a passing season and enter a new season lest we find ourselves out of season. And if we're out of season, the writer said, there is no profit to the work that we have entered into. Life is full of seasonal changes. Now, we've already opened up this can. It's, it's full of, of transitions and changes in all of our life. Think about this. I, I wrote some down here about seasonal change in all of our lives. How about when we move from being a child to a teenager? Or a teenager to an adult? Or a single to a married? Or a couple to having children? Or having children and then they all go off and you have an empty nest. How about from work to retirement? How about hired to fired? How about married to widowed? How about poor to middle class? Middle class to rich, and then rich to bankrupt. On and on I can give you lists that we will potentially, or just by virtue of nature and life's cadence, seasons that all of us will walk through and uh, navigate. And, and this is what I want you to know. Seasons are going to change whether you're ready or not. You don't control the season any more than I can control when winter will switch to spring, will switch to summer, will switch to fall, 
We will enjoy it when it switches, but when it switches, it switches, and I cannot control it. I cannot suddenly go open up all of my winter clothing in the middle of the summer and say, I've just decided it's winter. I'm just going to keep making my positive confession. I want seasons to change. I'm going to confess my change. I'm just going to keep it in my mouth. I'm just going to keep saying it and saying it. I don't, I'm believing those things that be not as though they were. I don't like summer. Summer's too hot. I'm ready for cooler weather. I'm keeping my confession straight. And I'm telling charismatics right now, it has been our Achilles heel. We have wanted to change a season by our confession or by doing some hocus pocus from the scripture. And I'm telling you, God is in charge of the season whether you like it or you're ready or not I believe the Holy Spirit is alive and well and active I believe in the present working of the Holy Spirit the gifts of the Spirit the manifestation gifts of the Spirit I believe signs and wonders follow them that believe I believe in a positive confession according to the scripture that we agree with what God has said I can teach I can teach the appropriate teaching from the faith movement. I can teach all of the appropriate scriptural concepts from the Bible concerning the full gospel life. But this is one we do not get in our, our circles. And it's this, that God has seasons and you're going to go through that season. And how you go that through that season is to some degree going to determine how long you're going to sit in that season. This is especially so, I think, in church life. Seasons change. You know, a church or a pastor, I think at times, is like an anchor or a place of stability in a world that is in anarchy and chaos. I think whether we define these things or think about these things or not, I honestly believe that for many of us, rightly, this is a right thing, this isn't a bad thing, we look around and we say to ourselves, where are my anchors in a world that's chaotic? Some of our anchors ought to be in our marriages. Some of our anchors ought to be in our relationships and friends. Some, you know, we want our jobs to be an anchor. But let me tell you, don't ever, don't ever put an anchor in your job. Because I'm telling you, that's the world system. But we look at church, and we'll even look at pastor maybe at times, because that's kind of how we connect in church. We kind of connect with the one that's teaching us and, 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 and shepherding through this. And, and we, want, we want some stability. We want some anchors in life, because the rest of life is like crazy. How many of you, you know, this world is crazy. Black Friday was crazy. People fighting over a TV. How dumb are we? So we want anchors. This is normal. It has a place. But our problem is that we want to draw out seasons when seasons are over. And that's where the problem arises. And it's this, and that is whether it's a church, a pastor, or whatever it is, that you, your anchor is not in the season you're in, your anchor is in the Lord of the season. That's your anchor. Jesus is the anchor. I'm not the anchor. I want to I model some things that people can look at and, and hopefully emulate. I know my wife and I, we do our best to live without duplicity 
and with consistency in as much as a human being can do that. We endeavor to do that. Have we been perfect? I don't know. Maybe we probably haven't been perfect at it. Nobody is perfect. So at one point I can agree with that mantra, nobody's perfect. Are we all absolutely consistent? No, we, we've endeavored to be. But hear me when I say this. That's why your anchor is in the Lord. He is the one who changes not. He endures. He is your stability. He is your confidence. He is the one that we link to because the Lord of the seasons will change a season. And here's the good news. Whether you like the season or you don't like the season, I'm with the God of the season. I'm in the middle of what he is doing. And so the little shop around the corner going back to You've Got Mail had to close. Why did they have to close? Because their season changed. Fox Books was the trend. Fox Books was the fad. Fox Books was what people wanted. And it happens. The season for them changed. But here's the interesting thing. Fox Books, a lot like Barnes & Noble, will one day run into an Amazon and they'll go through a seasonal change too. Everything has a season. Everything has a season. And I say this with absolutely zero animus, no glee, no criticalness. I'm not swiping. And I just want you to hear this because I want you to know the truth of the matter. And that is this. Since the 1980s, thousands and thousands of small churches have closed. There's statistics on this. It happens. When I met with Curtis Bostick with regards to walking certain things out and making sure we were dotting our I's and crossing our T's and making sure the legalities were what they needed to be. And he looked at me and he, and he asked me when I was sitting at that table with him, he said, Kevin, you, 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 you look funny, you're sounding funny. And I'm just, I was sitting there and I was just going, I've never had to do this before. I, I, I've got mixed emotions. You put your energy and your motions and all the things you put into it. And, and I'm just going to be transparent with you. I hadn't had a breakdown up to that point, but there in the lawyer's office, I wept. I just wept in the lawyer's office. Because I said, I don't know, I don't even know how this works and happens, and I'll never forget Curtis, and he's been a friend, and, and I've not, you know, walked with him like weekly. He's not like one of those kind of friends, but he's been a friend. And he looked at me and he said, Kevin, I've done this myself for churches a thousand times. It happens a lot, and this is what he said. He said, church is closed. It's, it's been their season. It's been their time. This is God's will. It's not that you're a failure. It's not that your church was a failure. You've left a deposit in this city that will never go away. You've not failed. He goes, I'll just tell you this. I know of churches right now who don't know enough to close, and they ought to be closed. At least you have the faith and the temerity to go ahead and do it, and, and, that, and that helped me. At that moment, that helped me. Because there are thousands of churches, because of just the landscape, small ones, who've been absorbed. In fact, Pastor Rod used to have the statement, he'd go, Bethany, Bethany, you know, church is this giant mega church. He says, anything that gets close to Bethany, it just gets sucked up into the vortex. And, and, it, and for him, it's just kind of a, a comical saying. But it's true. The mega church... The mega church happening across the land has has swept up untold thousands of small churches into the vortex. Why? It's because it was the season. The shop around the corner, for whatever reason, wasn't scratching the itch, and Fox Megabooks scratches the itch. But hear me, just like the Citadel Mall, 
when you look at a multi-million dollar mall and these dynamics are happening all over America, malls are closing. They are bulldozing malls down. How many of you ever thought JCPenney, Sears, any of these large box department stores would ever go away? They were publicly owned companies with which you could trade on the stock market and they're no longer with us. Why? Everything has a season. Everything has a season. And we better get a hold of that. I'm telling you right now, if America doesn't get this right, America will have a season. People don't believe that. They, they, they believe we will forever be what we are. Listen, Rome, Rome had a season. Greece had a season. Persia had a season. America will have a season too. No one escapes a change in seasons. Everyone here, every person, every church, every ministry will have to navigate a season that closes and then another season that begins. The question is, how will you handle it? How will you handle it? Let us understand and define a season. This is a review for some. It may be new for others, but I'll define it. In order to understand what a season means, you have to understand two words. The first word is the word chronos. Now, in the Bible, uh, as always, you know this to be true. There are like three words for love. There are two words to hear. There are two words to see. All of these words mean different things, though in English we translate it the same way. So sometimes we miss the importance. There are two words for time in the Bible. The first word is chronos, which is where we get our phrase chronological from. Chronological basically means measurable time. Chronos is anything you can measure. Seconds, minutes, hours, days, months, years, centuries, millennia. Chronos is measurable time. So hear me when I say this. Most of us function with, under the concept of chronos. And the reason we function under chronos is because that's how most of life works. You have to get to work on time, right? Well, you should get to work on time. You, uh, you don't want to spend too much time at the store because you've got a schedule to keep. Chronos, interestingly, God's intent was never that we lived being leveraged by chronos. Do you understand? When he created mankind, when he created humanity, he created them to live forever. What would happen to your life if you knew that time was not a factor? Now think about the early saints, even in the Old Testament, when you have people living hundreds of years. Now they got into a lot of trouble because of the carnal heart. But God's intent in a pristine Edenic situation was that they were to live forever. And that chronos eventually, in fact I call chronos a product of the curse. Because time was never a factor until death entered into the equation. And the minute you and I got a death date was the moment time mattered because we only have a finite amount of time out there until our time is up. We die, and then there's no more time. So we have a birth date, we have a death date, and until the death date, we're saying, I've only got so much time. This is a lot alike of how we work with God, too. We want God to hurry up, get it done, 
Time's a-wasting, and God is looking at us saying, listen, I can do things in less than 24 hours. I can turn your life around in less than a day. I can make things happen a lot swifter than you think I can make them happen, but I am not bound to your chronos. I am not bound to your clock. I am not bound to your calendar. I am not bound to your schedule. This is a product of the curse. This is why we have road rage. This is why we get on the interstate and we say to ourselves, I'm late for work, I, road rage. This is why we're upset at grocery stores when they have, when they have a, dozen, a dozen transactional exits that we can go through, cashier lines, and they've got two of them open the day before Thanksgiving. Because we say to ourselves, I've got, this is taking too long. Now hear me when I say this. This is what, we don't understand this about seasons. We think seasons are on our time schedule, and if it doesn't fit our time schedule, we get upset. There's a second word for time, and it's the word kairos. And this is the word that most closely represents what I would call opportune time, or God's time. A lot of times it is translated season. A season is a time period in your life that God is wanting to do some things in for his purposes and his glory and in his plan. If the steps of the righteous are ordered, it means this, that every, every season you're in, there's something that God is wanting to do in your life. He wants to form some things, forge some things, do some things. Sometimes that season can be hard. You read the Ecclesiastes writer. He already began to tell us that there are going to be good seasons and tough seasons. But all of those seasons are being used of God as an opportunity to do some things in your life that oftentimes believers miss because they think the only time God's at work is in good seasons, and if it's a bad season, it must be the devil. I want to even suggest to you that there are times I could make a better case that you learn more in the tough season than you do in the good season. In fact, I've watched people for years. They'll get a good season, and they'll lose their minds. God will bless them and prosper them and they will buy themselves lake houses and lake toys and they will buy themselves all kinds of things and they'll never be in the house of God again. And yet in the tough times when they can't scrape two nickels together, they're wondering how they're going to pay the bills. They're working through this, this tragedy or a sickness or a disease. You'll find them pressing in in the house of God because that's the season. But God's trying to teach them something in both seasons but we've got it all convoluted. A season is ordained as an opportune time for God to do some things in your life. Hear me when I say this. Our season together as a church was a God-ordained opportunity for us to learn some things as the people of God that will make us more productive, effective kingdom citizens. And while we may not exist as a corporation on paper, the fact of the matter is that season closes in order that we can walk into another opportune moment that God has designed for each one of us. If you'll get a hold of that, it'll change the whole way you look at life. Seasons. All seasons provide opportunities from God if you embrace it. Now, the Ecclesiastes writer 
gives us some insight. Now I want to just, I'm going to shoot these off. I'm not, I'm not, going, to, I'm not going to preach these points long because i got to get to the final points about how, how you need to finish the season. But he gives us some points in those 11 verses that I just want to draw out and underscore for you to remember. Number one is this. He reminds us that God calls the season. You don't get to call the season. God calls the season. My steps are ordered by the Lord. I believe in a sovereign God who is leading me and he's guiding me and he's orchestrating things for me, even at times when I don't know that he's doing it. I believe there are times when I am out to lunch, I'm just doing life, I'm just handling what gets thrown in front of me, I'm just doing what you do to get through life, but we need to understand that God is at work whether I recognize it or not, and he is calling the season. And there's some things that I can't change in that season because he's calling it. And so I either need to relax and believe and be at rest in that season, or I can live in such worry and anxiety because of the season that I can get an ulcer, which wasn't his plan at all. So he's the one that calls the season. He says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. So all of these seasons, it says in Ecclesiastes 3, hear me now, the dying season, the destroying season, the killing season, the breaking down season, the weeping season, the mourning season, the casting away stone season, the losing, the silence, all of these seasons that we say to ourselves, I don't like it, God says there is a purpose under heaven for that season. I don't like the fact that I had to, I had to take a trip all around Charleston. You know what I wanted? I wanted a big old church on John's Island. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. You may not have wanted it, I don't know, but that's what I wanted. And God's saying, no, 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 no. You don't get to choose the season. But I had a vision. That doesn't matter. Season. Season. When it comes to vision and mission and purpose, you got to understand all of that has to fit within a season. God calls that season. And we've got to accept that. Number two is God uses every season. I've already mentioned, I'm not going to belabor it. God uses every season that you're in. Good or bad, he's at work. How many of you have had a bad season and been able to look back once you've transitioned out of that bad season and maybe there, there was a, a stability that came, but you're able to look back, come on now, be honest, and you're able to say, I don't know that I like that season, but I sure enough learned a lot. Okay? That was God. Even in, so if you're in a tough season now or any time in the future, remind yourself, I don't get it, but God's up to something in this season. Number three, opportunities arise as we work in the season. If you want to be profitable in the season, you have to understand that you've got to accept it, embrace it, and work in it. You can either, you know, you can cooperate with the season or you can resist it. Listen, it's wintertime, and it doesn't get severe here. It's, it's severe in the north, but you can be in a severe winter climate, and you can decide that, you're, that you want it to be summer, and you can walk outside when it's sub-zero in your shorts and your flip-flops and your tank top, and you can just resist the season, and you'll get sick. Don't resist the season. If the season's adverse, then understand, what must I do to function and walk and honor God in an adverse season. I can't just default to what I want 
but I have to understand my opportunities arise as I cooperate in the season or with the season that I'm in. Number four, your current season, according to the scripture here, is beautiful. In God's eyes, it's beautiful. What he sees happening in your life, he's seeing seeing you build persistence. He's seeing you build faithfulness. I'm talking about tough seasons now. He's seeing you, he's seeing you walk with integrity. He's seeing you walk with singleness of purpose. God calls that beautiful. You're saying this is this is hard. This is this is hurtful. This is adverse. This is hostile. God sees it as beautiful. Even when Stephen was being stoned, Jesus himself stands up and calls it beautiful. And he receives them. Jesus stands out of his seat for no man except for the man who is in a most hostile situation who gave his life for the Lord. The Lord stood up and said, I'll honor that man. And again, I'm not declaring martyrdom, but I'm just saying envision this in your mind when God sees you going through adversity and you honor the Lord and, and you embrace what he's trying to rub into you and sow and form into you, and he sees that, and, and he points and he says, that's beautiful right there. You don't think it's beautiful because it's hard. God says it's beautiful. And then lastly, he tells us, number five here, many just don't get their season. They're clueless, and so they're in a hard spot, and they get offended, they get mad, They blame, they cry, they whine. What's it happening to me? Following the Lord. People, through the years, I just want to share this because we're coming to the finish line, so I, I feel great liberty. I can share all kinds of things with great liberty. I've heard people for years will leave church, and they'll say something that's correct, but they don't understand it. They'll say things like, Pastor, my season's over. Well, that's, that's a correct saying, and it can be true. Your season may indeed be over. In fact, I wanted some seasons for certain people to be over. But they don't really understand what they're saying. They use the phrase... Because they don't have the integrity to say, I'm mad at you. They don't have the integrity to say, I didn't get my way. They didn't have the integrity to say, I'm offended, or I'm wounded, or I'm hurt, or I'm bitter. They certainly don't have the integrity to say, I'm crazy. I'm dysfunctional. I'm oppressed by demons. No, I'm possessed by demons. They won't say things like, I'm disappointed, or I've lost hope, or I disagree. So we just throw this word, this phrase, my season is over. Now hear me. A lot of times, God will use these bumps in our life in order to bring us to an awareness that seasons do indeed change. But the key is, once you recognize a season is changing, now you must handle how you finish it right. God can use any one of a number of emotions or circumstances to stir your nest to the reality that a season is changing. 
I had, I had to work through this. We had to work through this. I don't want to be a quitter. I don't want to be a giver-upper. I don't want to be aggravated at you. I don't want you aggravated at me. I had to go through all of this, saying, okay, Lord, is this, if you're changing a season, I'm willing to embrace it. I have emotions. I've got feelings. I'm going through things. I'm watching P&L sheets. I've got all these things going on. If a season is changing, then help me understand how this thing has to change. How do you finish it without acting like a jerk or a heathen? So I'm going to give you this. How do you finish a season? I'm going to give you five steps. Does this surprise you that there will be five steps to finishing? And they're not hard. How you close a season becomes your springboard to your new one. How we close this season will become all of our springboards to how we enter into a new one. I want to remind you, I think I said this last week, biblical seasons closed. The Old Testament closed to a New Testament. There were things that transitioned, things that didn't transition, but there was a definite closure to a new thing. The tabernacle had to finish to the temple. The temple eventually had to close and finish. It was destroyed. The wilderness where where God supernaturally gives you cinnamon rolls every morning and then he gives you nice quail at night for free, closed. And then they had to go to the promised land and actually had to pick up a sword and fight. Israel, in some ways, closed in order that the church might come forward. How do you finish one season to another? Because I'm here to tell you, and we'll get into this in the coming weeks, not everybody finishes well. Five steps to finishing. All right. The first one I mentioned last week, I'm not going to belabor this, but I told you we need to be grateful in all things, right? Gratitude. You can listen to last week's message, gratitude. You need to be grateful for the season that you had, to be grateful for the people that you met, be grateful for the paths that were crossed, be grateful for all that God formed in you, be grateful for every bump someone gave you, be grateful I'm not joking when I say this, to be grateful that you were offended because if you were never offended, you never knew how to forgive. Be grateful for the injustice because it made you more acutely aware of the need for justice. There's so many things you can be grateful for. If you're going to end a season, let's be grateful. I'm I'm not disappointed. I am grateful for the decades I had in a city. I am grateful for the people that I met. I'm even grateful for a few enemies out there because without my enemies, I would have never known what it meant to die to yourself. Thank you, my enemies. Because it made me press into God. I'm grateful. Are you? Gratitude. When you're ending a season, it's the moment for gratitude. We'll leave that alone. The second one is that you now's the moment to forgive. If you're closing a season and you know a new season is on the horizon, then it's time to forgive. It's time to close all your accounts. It's time to release all the debts. It's time to let go of all the injustices, all the offenses, all the hurts, all the wounds, all the slights, all the disappointments, all the misunderstandings. Hey, don't carry luggage into a new season that you can just leave in the old season. Bitterness looks like a fur coat in a hundred degree day. 
Everyone sees it except you. You just like wearing it. But the fact of the matter is, if you wear that fur coat on a 100-degree day long enough, everybody starts to smell it, and they don't want to be around you. Yeah, you're stylish, but you smell. And when they sniff that, they'll say, we love you, but I don't want to be around that. Forgive. This is your opportunity to forgive, to let it go. You remember the teachings about carrying that old dead thing on your back and the maggots and things eating through it until it finally eats you up. This is the moment as you close the season to let it go. How do I let it go? Forgive, forgive 70 times seven. Just keep forgiving the season's ending and you get to walk into a brand new season. The third thing, I use the term forget. Now, as I was thinking about this, I thought, Lord, I've taught this, and I know for a fact that sometimes it's hard to forget. It's hard to forget. I've taught that you may never forget. I mean, there are things that have happened to my wife and happened to me, and, and, and you know that they happen, they're in your mind, but the power of them are released, of course. They're not as powerful as it, as it was when it happened. But Paul still said something that I'm wrestling with, the famous passage in Philippians 3, 13, when he says these words, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I've made it my own yet, but one thing I do, what? Forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Listen, there's an appropriate place in understanding that you had an event happen to you that was hard and it was traumatic and it was it was life defining in some ways and I get that and and I understand that that doesn't erase just easily sometimes even simply or quickly but I still have to wrestle with what Paul says in the word when he says that there are at times an act of the will that you have to just say I'm going to choose to forget some things You can have fond memories even. You can retain amazing testimonies. I think of legacy, and and yes, there have been pains associated in 22 years, but there's been a lot of good things here as well. And I have some fond memories. There are some amazing testimonies. But I just want to suggest this to you, that even as you're walking out of legacy and into your new work, nobody wants to hear about your last church. I'm glad you thought legacy was great. I'm glad you thought I was great. I mean, I, I, I do. I like to be liked, and I'm glad you liked me. But I can tell you as a pastor, I, I can appreciate someone coming in saying, I really love my old pastor, and, and he was a great man of God, and his wife was a woman of God, and we had a great church. And, and that's okay to have fond memories, but no one wants to hear that forever. Let On December 31, begin to let legacy go. I'm just saying it out loud. And there's even a piece of me that says, I want to be remembered. I want them. Isn't it like like an old girlfriend or boyfriend? You say, well, I know they're going to go on and I need to go on, but I want them to pine after me just a little bit. Isn't that true? You broke up in high school and you had someone else, but you were always wanting them to really want you back. I want them to, no, let it go. Let it go. It's annoying to another pastor to hear about your last church, good or bad. They aren't going to be legacy. You're going to go try to find a legacy, you won't find a legacy. 
Legacy wasn't what your last church was when you came here. Forget. Number four, rejoice. Rejoice. Philippians 4.4 says, rejoice in the Lord. What? Always delight, take pleasure in him. Again, I will say, Paul says, as he's sitting in prison, rejoice. Rejoice. Be optimistic. Close a season in optimism. Be positive. Don't be one of the seven dwarfs. Don't be grumpy. Don't be dopey. Don't be sleepy. Pessimistic, negative people do not keep friends and they do not make friends. Rejoice. This is your opportunity. You know what the greatest thing about a seasonal change is this. You have the opportunity for a do-over. Don't waste it. Don't waste it. Because if you go in, and I'm just loving you right now, but if you go in, I'm not talking to, I've got to be careful, but if you go into your next season and you're acting grumpy, negative, pessimistic, I'm telling you, you're going to go around the same mountains you went in this season. This is an opportunity to redefine yourself, to redefine your future, to get your optimism back, to say I'm making a new start, a new step. I can change some things I don't like. I wish I could change. If somebody looked at you a certain way, you can erase that because you're going to have a whole lot of people looking at you in a brand new way with brand new eyes. And you can literally, I'm not saying fake it, but I am saying that there's a moment that the things you've been reluctant to implement in your life, now is the time to do it. You need to begin to ask the Holy Spirit to remind you of things pastors been saying for 22 years that will help you break through, that it will get you into that new season and for you to prosper. I don't want to hear two years from now that you're at the same place, in the same spiritual state, doing the same silly, stupid stuff, and, and you haven't changed a bit. You've wasted a seasonal change. You didn't finish this one right. And then finally, number five, and I shall conclude. Remember. Haggai 2.9 says, The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I shall give the ultimate peace and prosperity, declares the Lord of hosts. What do I want you to remember? I want you to remember this, that the best is always yet to come. Your best isn't behind you. Your best is not in the rearview mirror. Your best is yet to come. The, Paul said that we as believers are being transformed from glory to glory. That means this, that whatever glory I have, I have experienced and received, there's going to be greater glory yet ahead. And you've got to remember that. You've got to keep that in your mind. We get so familiar. You've heard this phrase, I'd rather deal with the demons I have than deal with the potential demons that are still out there. No, you don't. You want to leave the demons that you experienced and believe that you've got victory over every devil that may come your way because there's a better day that's yet ahead for you to remember, to ask the Holy Spirit to stir into remembrance. I get it. I get the fact 
that some of you have listened to me for two plus decades and my voice has become familiar. I get it. I understand it. But you need to now ask the Holy Spirit to begin to revitalize some things so that the words that were spoken, the instruction that was given, the lessons that have been learned are things that you can now retain and walk into your future. Not having to learn it all again from another voice, but able to be able to be profitable and go into the season that's before you. To be used by God in an amazing way. And let me just say this, and I'm going to conclude with this, and I'm done for today. The new season will never look like you think it's going to look. I've learned this through prophetic ministry through the years. You prophesy over people and they have words and they instantly paint a picture of what they think that's going to look like. And I'm here to tell you, it never looks like what you think it's going to look like. How many of you know Jesus shows up as the Messiah? He'd been prophesied in almost every book of the Old Testament. And when he finally shows up, the very people who are experts in the scripture missed him because Jesus didn't look like what they thought he was going to look like. Your, your new season will never look like what you have envisioned it or what you think. That's why you have to walk and say, Lord, you've got some, you're painting something for me that's going to be good. It's going to be better than I could have ever imagined, and I'm just going to embrace it because, because I believe you have indeed beautiful, good things for me and that I believe the glory of these latter years are going to be greater than the former. And it may not look what I'm painting right now, but this much I know, whatever it ends up looking like, it's going to be the best thing that could have ever happened to me. And if you'll close this season with some of those things in your heart and before your eyes, I think you'll be amazed at what God will do as you enter into your new season. And all the assembly said, amen. amen. Stand with me, will you? Hey.